Watson's in the Tupelo Hospital. We need to remember him uh, in, in our prayers. Also, Steve Hickenbottom, who did our uh, campaign several years ago, has been diagnosed with cancer. He's in the MD Anderson Clinic in Houston uh, at this time, so please remember him uh, when we pray. Our food pantry item for this week is canned fruit. Ladies are invited to a bridal shower in honor of Katie Bates, bride-elect of Austin May. That's on Sunday, September the 13th in the Annex from 1.30 until 3. Also, if you'll look in your bulletin, we have a note of thanks from a, from a lady, Glenda Wilson, who's been watching our broadcast on YouTube. Uh, we are glad to have her, and she's so appreciative of the fact that she's able to uh, attend service through our congregation. If you would, just, just take time sometime this week and send her a, a, a note of uh, thanks or encouragement. Uh, she's in the uh, Adams County Nursing Facility, so uh, take time to do that if you would. Sunday morning, <clears throat> we are going to start something different. We're going to have a second service, and that will be at 8.30 on Sunday morning. It will be outside uh, over at the maintenance building. We'll start at 8.30. You can park and stay in your car and listen if you want to, or you can bring your lawn chairs and sit on the, uh, in the yard out there. But we'll also have a service here at 10.30. So uh, <clears throat> we'll have two services. We're trying this just to see if this is something that, that will catch on, that folks will enjoy having the opportunity to be outside instead of being here inside this building. As you know, we uh, there has been a hurricane in the Louisiana area, uh, South Louisiana and uh, East Texas. The congregation here has sent a, uh, a check to the disaster uh, assistance in Nashville. Uh, in the amount of $5,000. We are uh, attempting to get together a group of people to go up to Nashville and work in the disaster relief facility. Uh, we don't have a date as of yet, but we need uh, from eight to 10 people that are willing to go. And it's going to be a little different than those that have gone before. Uh, because of the uh, COVID uh, restrictions. It will be working for four hours in one day, and it will be packing boxes, and it will be standing up the entire time. Uh, it's projected that a group would leave here on a bus and go up uh, one afternoon and spend the night in a hotel in Nashville and then come back the next day. Uh, so if you're interested in that, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. You can talk to Brother Jim. He, he can give you more information about that. And I believe that's all of our announcements. At this time, Brother Ken is going to come and conduct our class tonight.
Hello there. Man, it's great to see people here on a Wednesday. I'm glad that you have ventured out and you just have the courage to be among all of us. And I know there's still people at home who are watching the live stream and we miss them, don't we? Nod your head this way. A lot of these people are nodding their heads for you. Listen, I want to sing a song, okay? With you. So let's, let's sing 853. 853, when we all get to heaven. Don't you want to go to heaven? And think about that. When we get there. So our expectation is to do what? Go to heaven. Get there. And some of the things, some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight are reflected in this song. We're going to talk about vision, about our plans for the future. up to go right this second, but we do want to prepare ourselves so that we can go someday. Wouldn't it be spectacular not just to live and die and be transported, but to be here when it happens? That's exciting. Okay, tonight we, what do I need to do about this? Just keep going? Okay. Let me stand back here. <laughs> All right, so we're continuing our study in how to build a great church. And when we started this study, we began with looking at our mission. What is it that we are doing as the church? And then once we understood how great our mission was, then we started talking about some particulars, like being united together having compassion for one another, being our brother's keeper. And then, well, we got pretty personal with me. <laughs> and I told you what you should expect out of your preacher. Last week, we talked about our leadership, two specific groups. We talked about the elders and the deacons, the qualifications that are stated, and we looked at First Timothy chapter 3. There are additional descriptions, although much overlapping in Titus chapter 1. But from those texts, we understood, I hope, 
the important responsibility that each has. Deacons aren't junior elders. They have very specific responsibilities, and they're to be respected for their work's sake. And our elders are our invested leaders, and so we want to honor and respect them too in their work, be a great support of them. We are looking to follow great leadership. Now tonight, we must be a people of great vision. Before we start that study, let's open up with a prayer and then we'll look at some scriptures together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity it is for us to be together to study from your word. And I pray, Lord, you'll help me to communicate it as I've studied and to be with our our students tonight as we're looking at these scriptures Lord, I already know that this is a lesson of self-examination. So I pray that not only will this church have a vision for the future and that we can plan appropriately to your glory, but that also, uh, just as kind of a foundational part of that, each of us also having a personal vision, uh, a sense of planning, of knowing where we're headed, and to live in such a way as to contribute to the overall good of this congregation right here in Boonville. Lord, thank you for what you've already prepared for us and just help us to be able to absorb it in the best possible way. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll tell you this, that where there is planning and vision You've got a work for the Lord that is unbelievable. I mean, it's exciting. Now, I think about that first initiative, the establishment of the church, and the plan that the Lord Himself set forth, the vision of God for the church. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, Luke, as he's describing these events, doesn't really waste any time, does he? I mean, right there in those opening verses. The Lord's telling them that they're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but that they're going to have a responsibility after that. That they are going to be witnesses to the Lord. They're going to begin there in Jerusalem, and then that's going to be spread to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, as you read the book of Acts, you just see that plan unfolding. The hub of the work is actually right there in Jerusalem. And then because of persecution that's described in chapter 8, we then do venture out into Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In fact, say the ends of the earth, sometimes people look at that and they say, well, you know, that's just, you know, that's just kind of flowery language. But that isn't what the Apostle Paul said. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, Paul says that as regards the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it had been preached to every creature under heaven. That's a terrific, unbelievable work. An initiative that was set forth by Jesus Christ and a plan that was followed through on by the apostles and others who worked with them. So I know where there is that unity and that planning, that great things are going to happen. But Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 18 says that where there is no vision, the people perish. 
Now that's the King James translation. In newer versions, the idea is of the revelation of God. When God has revealed himself, we have a plan. We have a way to go. When people reject him, they don't adhere to the revelation of God. They have no vision. They have no plan. And as a result, they perish. They are, they are destroyed. I'm not surprised at that, are you? In Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23, Jeremiah said, O Lord, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So tonight, as we're thinking about vision, what I want to do is just, well, basically just answer a few questions. And the first question that would come to mind, of course, is, well, what, what exactly is vision? If you look it up in the dictionary, you'll see all kinds of things, like it'll say it's an appearance of something. So I say, well, I, I have a vision, I've seen something. Other people will say, well, yeah, it is, it is something that has come into view. That is, maybe I saw something, something caught my eye a distance away. Now that I've gotten closer to it, I understand what it is. That would be vision, the sense of optical vision. I get what I am able to experience in a sensory sort of way. And then there is the idea of something that is just a spectacular sight. Now, I want to appropriate that idea because when I think of the plan of God and the will of God and then us submitting ourselves to that and walking in the steps of Jesus, I know that the end result of whatever we do under those circumstances is going to be spectacular. Now, I would take that idea and think, well, think in terms of the development of a vision, an idea of planning. And I back up, and I was thinking about Ezra. Actually, earlier today, this as an illustration popped in mind. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 10, as regards Ezra's work and his preparation, it says that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now here's what I want you to notice about that in reverse order. Ezra's plan was to teach people. He wanted them to know the Lord's Word. But now wait a minute, how am I going to teach them the Lord's Word? First of all, I'm going to need to know it myself. So I'm going to receive the instruction of the Word of God, I'm going to come to an understanding of it, then I can teach others those things. And then back up from that. Before I ever dig into the Word of God, I've got to have the right heart about myself. I've got to have the right mind. So he prepared his heart. That was the very first thing. When it comes to vision in the church, when it comes to the idea of planning for the future, the very first thing we need to do is to prepare. We prepare ourselves for what's coming. That's kind of the idea behind our study that we began just a few weeks ago. How is it that we're going to become a great church? Well, the only way we're going to know that is we've got to prepare ourselves and then put some things into application, put them into order, change our life on the basis of what the Scriptures say are necessary that we can be a great church. So I want to prepare myself. 
And once I prepare myself, then I can start planning. And as I'm planning, I begin to present my ideas. And once those ideas come out, then I start promoting them. And then I look for people to participate in that with me. And then I get down on my knees and I supplicate before the Lord. Now, I use the word supplicate because you may know that to supplicate means to beg. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to beg God, Lord, help us, please, to be the church that you need for us to be in this time and in this location. That is the fulfillment of a vision of planning the work of the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's easier to think of it this way. People who are goal-oriented in their lives. Maybe you are. Maybe, maybe you have an idea of where you want to be in life. That might have started when you graduated from high school and there was this big question mark over the top of your head. What am I going to do? I remember when I graduated from high school, I went, I went to work for a year, first of all, because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And then after I'd saved some money, I told my parents this plan, hey, I'm going I'm to go to the local um, community college and see what they have to offer. And they were, they were all lined up with that, like, yeah, that's great. Well, you know what I did? I went into the lobby where there was the list of all of the courses that they offered, and I am not kidding you. I took my finger and I closed my eyes. I went like this and I stuck it out and it landed on architectural technology. That's how I planned for my future. That's not really the best way to do it. But when my finger hit that, I went, well, you know, I've always liked to draw. So, goal-oriented lives don't close their eyes and stick their finger on a list and hope the best. If I'm goal-oriented, that means I've determined what the goal is, and I'm going to set things in order to achieve that goal. Now, here's the thing. If I am looking to attain a goal, understand this. I, in order to achieve my goal, that means I'm becoming something different than I am right now. Isn't that true? If I'm trying to attain a goal, the goal is something that I am not right now. So in order to be different and attain my goal, I've got to do things differently. I have to make an examination. The reason that I'm not at my goal right now is because I lack whatever. And so I'm going to have to go from where I am right now, attain what it is that I lack in order to reach the goal. Now that is exactly what Christian living is all about. Going from where you are well, then ultimately to being like Jesus. I want to go from where I am to where I'm not currently, but where I desire so much to be. Paul has always dealt with that, and he dealt with it, I'm thinking, in a pretty serious way with the church that was in Rome, because he had not actually been there, but the church had been established and they were going on, and he's hearing about things that are going on in that church. They are the Lord's church, and they're functioning, but boy, they've got some misconceptions about things. And there seems to be, let's just say there is a taste or a flavor of worldliness that exists in them. So listen, church, he says, you've got to be goal-oriented. You've got to go from where you are right now, 
And yes, you are saved by the blood of Jesus, but you aren't acting like Jesus, so you've got to attain a goal by doing some specific things. And I just want to look at, at one passage. That's from Romans chapter 12. Beginning at verse 9, he starts with some pretty heavy language. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him a drink, for in so doing you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now listen to that. The, again, you start at the end to reflect on what he said. He really gets to the point there at the end, right? You are succumbing to the evil. I see it. But you've got to overcome the evil by doing what's right. Well, Ken, what's right? Well, for the goal-oriented Christian that was living in Rome, just start right there at verse 9. And start with maybe the hardest thing of all. Be a genuinely loving child of God. Let love be without hypocrisy. Start right there, and then start correcting all these other things that you have fallen short in. It is necessary for the child of God to have something in mind as regards a destination. Where is it that I'm going? Listen, I want to go to heaven just like we sang about a moment ago, but in order to do that, I'm in a life of preparation right now. And I, along with the rest of this church, have to have a vision of where I am right now to where I need to be. So I ask the question again, what exactly is vision? And I would suggest to you that, that vision is kind of the key to progress. So if I'm progressing, if I'm moving forward, then that means that I have a sense of the plan that God has for us. I, I have an understanding of where God wants us to go. Well, again, goal-oriented living. I'm wondering, when you think of yourself, this is personal. Do you have a vision for your own future? Do you have a plan for your own future? Because most of us are in one of two camps. Either we look at ourselves in self-examination and we say, well, I want to be better. I want to do better. And then there's another camp that says, you know what? I don't expect to change I don't expect anything to change. What I really expect is that it's going to be in the future just as it has always been for me. With no desire whatsoever 
to better themselves. Now here's an interesting study in the life of the Apostle Paul. I'll give you the short form of it. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul just claims that, you know what, he is happy no matter what state he's in. He is always contented. Now that had to do with his physical circumstances. He was willing to take whatever the world put in his camp. Whatever was sent in his direction, he says, it doesn't matter. If I have plenty, that's great. If I'm in want, that's great too. If I have to suffer, fine, whatever. Whatever comes, I accept it. But then contrary to that, seemingly, is something that he had said in the previous chapter. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now stop right there. In one place he says, you know what? I'm contented. But here in chapter 3 he says, I'm not contented. In fact, I'm not thinking about what's in the past. I am looking forward. Get this, physically, I don't really care. You know, whatever comes. This life is short. But spiritually, I am always striving for better. I'm always trying to attain. I'm living my life positively forward-looking so that I can get that goal that is ahead of me. That is goal-oriented, spiritually-minded living. I'm not satisfied with where I am because I want to be better. I want to serve Jesus better. I want to live my life in His shoes, not in my own. That reminds me of Galatians 2, verse 20, right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live by faith, I live in, in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm in the flesh, but I'm also a person of faith. So I'll take whatever the flesh brings, but I'm going to live in such a way that my spirit can soar and I can reach, well, I can reach the goal, I can attain to the vision or the plan that I believe God has set out for us. Now, that's individual thinking. Jesus contributed to that too. You remember what he said in John 10 and verse 10? Pretty, pretty famous text. Jesus says that the thief does not come before to steal, kill, and to destroy. Listen now. But I have come that they may have life. But now watch this. But not just life, but that they may have it more abundantly. Listen, there's life. But abundance indicates what? Growth. We're growing. The abundant life, the full life that's found in Jesus Christ. In order to attain that fullness, there has to be the mindset that says, I want to follow the plan. I want to be forward thinking. I want to have a vision for the future. I'm not satisfied with it as it is. I've got to act differently so that things will be different in the future. There's an interesting story. It's historical. Don't know if you know anything about the Alps, but there is a section of the Alps that's referred to as the Simmering. The Simmering is the section of the Alps that is the highest. It has the most 
unattainable peaks. It has the steepest elevation. It's practically impassable. However, it was decided that there was needed to be a direct route from Vienna, Austria to Venice, Italy. And the most direct route, guess what? Went right through the simmering. Some people said, well, we'll just need to go around that. But others said, we have the capability to put the tracks down. And since it was the shortest distance, they determined that's exactly what they would do. They put down the tracks. But here's the problem that existed when they began that project. There was not a train in the world that had the power or the grit to pass along that rail system. These people, though, had vision. They said to themselves, you know what? We know that there isn't a train that can do it right now, but there will be one eventually. So if there's going to be a train that will eventually be able to pass through here, then we're going to go ahead in the prospect of the development of that train, and we're going to just build the tracks. Now listen, that's an important lesson for us. I don't specifically in great detail know what the future holds, and neither do you. But if I believe that God is going to bless the church, then I need to have the vision that says, I'm not real sure how that's going to work out, but I'm going to go ahead and start laying the tracks. Now, I've heard the story from different sources about how the church was started here in Boonville. And I'll be honest with you, when I first came here and saw this building, I was like, wow, this is a huge building. You know, when this building was first built, this community wasn't even like this. This area was kind of on the outskirts of town, kind of in the country. And there were people who saw the church being built here, and they said to themselves, why would anybody build a building like that? How are they going to get the people? But you know what happened. Over the course of all those years, this building started filling up. There were some people who had a vision who said, you know what, I, 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 don't really, I don't really put too much stock in the way things are now. What I'm thinking is, the Lord is going to give the increase as He has promised if we will work. And so we're committed to doing the work Let's just go ahead, as it were, and lay the track. So, what does vision do for us? I want to give two examples. And they're both pretty common examples. So it'll be easy, I think, or I hope, for us to make the right application. The one has to do with Abraham. Abraham is a great example of someone who set his mind, set a vision that was God-ordained, and he followed through on that vision. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8, 9, and 10, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed 
when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now think about that for a second. God said, Abraham, the promise of the land that I told you I'd give you, that's invested in you, going to do it. You need to pack up and let's go. And so Abraham looked around and he made his determination. You know what? I got a lot of stuff. I'm happy here in Ur of Chaldees, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to leave this comfortable place. I'm going to move into another zone, leave my comfort zone into another area because I trust God. I don't know what it's going to be like over there, but I'm going to start laying track, as it were. God says, do it, I'm doing it. This text says that they lived over there in the land of Canaan, hadn't even possessed it yet. They're living in tents, just like sojourners in the land that God has promised them. But it wasn't time to take the land yet. In fact, and just keep this in your mind, Abraham never received for himself personally the promise of God, except for that short little venture there. That was going to be for 400 years later. But the thing is, Abraham acted because he anticipated God's going to fulfill his promises. And since God fulfills his promises, and I know it's going to work, I'm just going to go ahead and prepare everybody. And I'm going to leave this place that is safe and go to wherever God says go. Wow. And then there was this guy by the name of Esau. In the very next chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 14, it says, Follow peace with all men in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking diligently, lest anyone fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, by which many are defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the promise, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Now, Abraham's an example of somebody who followed the vision. Esau's an example of somebody who couldn't care less about the vision. He has, as the firstborn of Isaac, the birthright. If everything worked according to his faithfulness, he would be in the line all the way to Jesus Christ. But instead, he forsakes that blessing. The first thing that happens is he has this birthright, but he's hungry one day, and his brother, who basically stays in the tents and cooks with mom, can make the best lentil soup. And so for a bowl of soup, he sells the blessings of a lifetime the blessings of every generation. And then later, then later, maybe with some reflection, he's hopeful that he can at least at the deathbed of his father receive a deathbed blessing. But Jacob beat him to that too. This text says that in the end, even though he was repentant in his heart, there wasn't anything could be done about it. You see, he had no vision. 
Now, what I want you to notice about that is that God was faithful with Abraham. Abraham didn't see the end result, but he participated in the plan of God. Esau, Esau had the opportunity to be in the plan of God, but forsook that. Did that thwart God's plan at all? Shake your head this way. No, it did not. God just started laying track with somebody else, didn't he? With Jacob. Laying that track. I'm wondering with us about our laying some track. How do you develop a vision that is worth following? <laughs> you know, one that I am confident this is what God wants us to do. And if I get on that and I start laying the track, that I'm going to have success. And even if I don't see it, that I'm doing something for the future. Again, think about the history of this church. You know, we just recently celebrated 60 years since this building was constructed, 60 years. Now, some were reminiscing and saying, yeah, you know, I was four years old when that happened. I was six years old. I remember so-and-so being married. But the thing is, and I'm pretty sure this is true, there's not anybody living today. Or if there are, boy, they're advanced in their age. Actually living who were a part of laying that track initially, who had the vision for the future. They anticipated us. Now the thing is, what are we going to do? You know, where are we going from right here? Are we just going to say we don't care and sit back and do nothing? Or do we have a goal in mind? Where are we headed? Because if we're going to attain our goal, remember, here's the basic standard. If I'm attaining a goal, that means I'm going from where I am right now to some other place. It means I have to think differently than I'm thinking now in order to attain that goal. You say, well, Ken, we don't want to think... Di no, I I'm, not saying, I'm not saying throw out God's direction. In fact, I'm saying subscribe to God's direction. Did God say, build the building and then sit in the pews? Shake your head this way. He did not say that. Build the building, fill the building. <laughs> fill the building. Go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's the idea. So we've got to go from where we are now to acting in a way that will fulfill that vision that God has for us. And doing, build, building, building on the base that we already have. Some people have lived and died with great anticipation of the time that we are now living in. And you realize, don't you, we are on the ragged edge of history right now. History has not gone any farther than we are right now, which means that we are it. We are the ones who carry the gospel further. We're the ones. We're the ones who have the responsibility. And so with what we have, we've got to catch the vision of God. Now, that is going to start... You know what I want to do? What probably we all want to... We all want to point at the elder's office. It'll start right there. There's where our vision... No? No. You remember what Ezra did first? Took care of himself. All of us, if we're going to be a part of this vision for the future, we've got to start right here. The first person that has to get the vision is me. I have to subscribe to what God wants me to be doing. And then generally, we will blend together in order to accomplish God's greater goals 
for the church that's right here in Boonville. I got to commit myself to that. And the best time to do that is guess when? Right now. We're going to do it. We're going to satisfy the vision of God. We're going to fill this building with souls. And I'm thinking that we're also going to think about our history. We know where we came from, the dedication of the people that were here before us. And listen, we do not want... You say, well, Ken, I don't want to let the Lord down. No, I don't. I don't want to let the Lord down. But I also don't want to let those folks down. I don't want to let those folks down who sacrificed so much and invested so much in the Lord's cause, hoping that there would be another generation come along to kind of pick that up and carry it on. That's us. So we want to think about what happened in the past and move beyond that to God's glory. We also want to realize that it isn't just about us, right? You say, well, we want to have better facilities. We want to have blah, 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 blah. Great. Love good facilities. But that isn't what this is all about. This is about saving souls. So I want to see to the needs of other people. I say, well, I got needs too. Stop. This is other, other word thinking. I want to think about those who are needy around me. I want to bring them into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ through their obedience to the gospel. Well, Ken, who's going to teach them? Well, how about I set my mind that I'm going to do it? I'm going to be responsible to bring somebody to Jesus, just as somebody loved me enough to bring me to Jesus. I'm also going to look around and recognize the resources that we have at our disposal, whether it is the complex itself, which is used for so many good works, or whether it has to do with the manpower and the talents that we have. I dare say that even among the eldership, that there is a good understanding of all the talents and the abilities that exist in this congregation. Now, I've only been here a few weeks, and I've seen untold expertise in so many areas. Oh, my, we, we, how many teachers do we have from this college next door to us? How many administrators of schools around us? How many people invested in others could be, could be tapped to the glory of God in this church? The mind just soars in the expectation of what could be done if we tap in an expeditious fashion the talent, the abilities that exist around us. And as a final thought, I would suggest to us that we also have to have a mind of the voices that are around us. Now, Ken, what do you mean by, by voices? Well, I mean that there are things that are inclinations to us. For instance, there are those voices that are inside you that are constantly saying, you do this or you do that, and you're like, hush, <laughs> you know, be quiet. Uh, probably your conscience talking. Or some instruction somebody gave you in the past, it keeps popping up and you keep pushing it down. Don't do that. Let it go. And say, you know what, you are right. I know that this is what I ought to do and I'm going to do it. Or maybe it's that voice that is, you know, the irritated, unhappy voice that's in you. That voice that says, you know what, I'm not doing anything right now. And the reason I'm not doing it is because they're not doing it either. You know what, everybody's just complacent and they're just kind of lazy and don't want to do anything. And since that's true, that's how I'm going to be. I'm just going to... 
No. We're going we're gonna to hear that voice, but we are going to respond not by just, just giving in to that, but we're going to override that voice. We're going to say things are about to change. Why is that? Because when we catch a vision for the future, we realize things have to be different. Well, in order for things to be different, we've got to change. So I've got to go from where I am now to something else. And then, well, we've talked about this voice a lot already. That's the voice of God. We have got to take seriously the voice of God in the fulfillment of His vision for us. It's not really a mystery, but it is a challenge. It was a challenge to those folks who lived in the first century as much as it is a challenge for us today. So I want us to think in terms of three questions that we ought to ask ourselves as a church. The first thing we want to know is, where are we? You know, we have to ascertain our current location. The second question is, where do we want to go? What are we shooting for? And the third question is, how do we, how do we get there? Now, many of the lessons that are going to follow this are going to help us with part of that, but the challenge is for us to get our minds together, assess our expertise, and get busy doing the work. It's interesting, the kind of an obscure text, but Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2 this had to do with a vision of the Lord that was given to Habakkuk. And the Lord says, you write that vision down. You write it down on plain tablets so that he who runs can read it. You read this word and then you get going. That was the idea. God help us that that's what we will do. Truth is that great vision builds great churches. The end. Now, tonight is going to be a little different because we have kiddos to pick up. So if you are one of our parents, please leave the auditorium and go pick up your kids. And we'll give them a few seconds to get out of here. And when they leave, you may very carefully exit at your convenience. Thank you all so much for being here. Let's have a prayer real quick, and then you can launch forth. Our Father, thank you for the blessing of this evening, and thank you for, thank you for your word and for your encouragement, your, your stimulation through the word to challenge us. Help us, Lord, to to plan, to, to have an insight as to what you want us to do, and then just to do it. Thank you, Father, for those who've gone before us, who've set such great examples. Help us be worthy of their sacrifice and of the sacrifice of Jesus. Help us to, us to be motivated and see the opportunities all around us. Thank you. Thank you for reminding us in your word of your plans, and I pray that we'll have the mind that those are our plans too. We'll get busy following them. Thank you for the blessings that come in that. Uh, be with us, Lord, as we're leaving this place. Protect us from the illness that's still ramping around us. And 
Bless those who are currently sick. We pray that you'll give us safe journeys to home. And if it's your will that you'll give us a new day, help us to face it with new enthusiasm and vigor. In Jesus' name, amen.